Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. That's the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark uh, chapter 1. And uh, we are going to continue uh, working through a series that we just started last week through the Gospel of Mark. Again, this is one of the, or the earliest written of the Gospels and the shortest one as well that's also action-packed, packed with action. Mark wants uh, Jesus' words uh, to speak to us, but also his actions. He wants us to see uh, who Jesus is. And really, we mentioned last week as we began that the primary focus uh, of, of really all of the Bible, but certainly of the Gospels, is this, that we would see Jesus, that we would come to know him, come to experience him, to embrace him, to walk with him, come to see his grace, his love, his lordship, that we would embrace Jesus more and more each day. The Gospels declare to us, as we've mentioned before, uh, not simply a life of Jesus. They really focus uh, just on the main three years of his ministry for about two-thirds of the space in, in the Gospels. And the other third is focused really on the very last week of the life of Jesus. So it's not so much about a life of Jesus, but it's about how we can find our life in Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. Indeed, the term gospel means good news. When we say it means good news, we don't mean like newspaper news that you can either grab an article or two from if you're interested or just chunk it in a recycling bin if you're not interested at all. The gospel's good news in the sense that it requires a response from us. It bids us to respond to what it's telling us. I like what one writer says, Tim Keller. He said, for many people, a sacred story doesn't have to be a true story as long as it helps you feel better about life and encourages you to improve. This is not Mark's purpose, he says. He describes real historical events which he witnessed or recorded through eyewitnesses. That's what we want to look at today. That's what we want to look at over the next number of weeks and months is the factual account of what took place in Jesus' life and ministry so that we can apply it to us. And in particular today, as we read, we're going to look at how Jesus fulfills what God had promised And in particularly how in fulfilling what God has promised, he meets, he fulfills all our needs, all our needs spiritually. So I invite you then with that in mind to stand with me. I'll read aloud as you read along uh, silently uh, these 13 verses at the beginning of Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, We're going out to him. We're being baptized by him in the river Jordan and confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair 
and wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptized you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And then he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the animals and the angels were ministering to him. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Oh, Father, we ask that you would come now in particular and open our eyes to see glorious things from your word. Unstop our closed ears to hear your truth and be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the uh, last number of uh, weeks or so, with the innumerable football games on TV, I have to admit I've taken in quite a few, so many that my wife, who will sometimes watch a a game or two with me, patience, she uh, has taken on to sitting at the end of the couch and reading a book, doing something a little more edifying and watching those games. But she still, uh, unfortunately, gets drawn into the games a little bit. And a couple weeks ago, I was watching one particular game, and she's watched some games and is fairly familiar with football, but I was watching one, and the quarterback had just made a, a great adjustment. And I said to Patience, I said, look at that. Did you see that audible that quarterback made? She said, what? I said, the audible. She said, the whatable? I said, the, the audible. She said, Chris, I, I hear what's coming out of your lips, but I don't understand what you're saying. Help me out. I said, well, it's it's an audible play. Oh, okay. An audible play, that means when he gets up to the line, they've got a plan already in place for the play, but when he gets up there and he's about to snap the ball, he looks and he sees something he doesn't like. I don't know what it is. And at the last second, usually, as that little clock is ticking down, he audibly, out loud, yells to the players around, a change of plans, an alternate plan. It's an audible. She said, oh, I've never heard of that. I thought I might point out to her the irony that she'd never heard of an audible, but I wanted to be able to have my usual sleeping arrangements that that night, so I, I stayed clear from that. An audible. An audible. As we look at these verses today, One of the things I want us to see, one of the things that Mark is trying to convey to us is that God is not making an audible when he goes with the play of Jesus coming into the world to save us from our sins. 
quarterback God is not making a spiritual audible when he puts Jesus into the lineup. That in fact, the work that Jesus does for us in coming into the world to be our righteousness, to lay down his life for our sins, to be the the source of our hope in life, it is part of God's plan throughout the centuries leading up to the time of Mark. And we're even going to see that John, the guy whose job is to introduce Jesus, basically, even everything about John has been laid out long in advance. Jesus comes to fulfill what's been promised before. He's not a last-minute idea on God's part. And as we see that, I want a couple of things to come to light for us. One that Mark, I think, wants us to see all through his gospel is just that we would glorify Jesus, just that we'd see how wonderful and amazing his work is. And when we see how he fulfills what has been planned so long before, that he's not just a last-minute idea, I think it lifts our eyes to see his glory more clearly, the glory of what he fulfills. And then as we walk through these verses, we're going to see as well specifically that he meets our needs by fulfilling God's promises. He fulfills our needs spiritually. So we walk through this then, and you can follow along in your worship guide if you'd like. There's a section at the back for you to take notes. The main idea, I think, is this, that Jesus fulfills all. Jesus fulfills all so we can find our righteousness in him. Jesus fulfills all so we can find our righteousness in him. I'm going to look at this in a couple of ways. One, I want us to take a look at who John was, who this John the Baptist was. Then we're going to ask, what did, Jesus, what did John say about Jesus? And then look at the question of how did Jesus fulfill what John said? That's our pathway today. Well, who was John? Look with me at Mark chapter 1, verse 2. He's a messenger. Is one of the things he is. He's a messenger, and he comes with this message, which is not something new. It's not an audible. In fact, in fact these prophecies had been written down hundreds of years before, centuries back. And he says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. He's a messenger. He's one that comes with a message. And it goes on and reminds us as well, he's not only a messenger in what he says, but his whole persona, the whole uh, kit and caboodle of who John the Baptist is, conveys a message as well. Look at verse 6 of Mark 1. It says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair, kind of an interesting get-up, and wore a leather belt around his waist. I think it's kind of interesting that it mentions that, you know, with the whole camel get-up. They mentioned the belt, which is kind of an accessory. You just, you know, put that on there you go. But he's got a belt, and he ate locusts and wild honey. What, what is the point there, other than that he's kind of a wild guy that lives out and out away from things? Well, the main point is that he fulfills that Old Testament prophet. 
stigma. He, he, he looks like, he acts like one of those Old Testament prophets. So he's coming and fulfilling that. Uh, think of it a little bit this way. Uh, when you walk up to uh, perhaps go camping or go out to one of the state parks and you come up and you see a big old bear with kind of a camp ranger outfit on standing there, what do you think? Well, you think Smokey the Bear, but almost instantly after you think Smokey the Bear, you think, hey, I need to be careful. We don't need to light fires everywhere. The, the message and the man or the bear, in this case, are kind of one and the same. You've seen so many Smokey Bear commercials. They're two things right together. You see a commercial on, on maybe during a bowl game you've watched, with some cows coming across the screen. They might be parachuting in. They might be in an office. These cows might be doing a disco thing. You see a commercial with some cows, what do you think? Chick-fil-A. Now, those cows are a little freaky. My little boys, we go into the Chick-fil-A. I've got two of them. They get freaked out by the, by the Chick-fil-A cow, so I'm not sure. Somebody needs to rework that. But, but the cow symbolizes Chick-fil-A. That's what it means. Same thing. G- John comes into the world. We don't recognize it. We just think he's got a weird get-up and a belt, and he's got some interesting dietary habits. But he's fulfilling the Old Testament prediction that one would come and, and, and be a prophet to announce. He's an announcer of a great one who would come behind him. So that's a little bit about who John was. I'm going to say a little bit more about application from that in a second. But let's take a second to look at what John says. What does John say? Look with me at verse 7. He says, After me comes he who's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. You know, folks, uh, John the Baptist might seem a little weird to us. He was a big thing in his day. It tells us here people are coming from all the towns and all the areas, hundreds, numerable people coming to hear what he has to say. And yet he says he's just the lead-in. He's just the opening act. Imagine someone introducing you two on the stage and saying they're going to open up for the real act. Imagine, let me translate it a little differently for us. Imagine somebody bringing you a strawberry cake from Edgar's Bakery and saying, this is just a warm-up for the real dessert. What's that tell you? One thing it tells you is the thing that's coming after him, Jesus in this case, has got to be amazing. And we kind of miss it if we're used to hearing a little bit of this story, used to hearing it. When John the Baptist, who is a noteworthy figure in his own right, comes and says, you know what? Here's where I stand relative to this guy who's coming. He's telling us something. He's telling us something. And he's also challenging us, isn't he? When we think about our own lives... And our desire to be Lord over our own lives. Our desire to have attention and focus 
on us. Our desire for things to be about us, and we all have that. John reminds us that even though he was at the pinnacle, even though people were coming from all around to hear him, what did he say? He said, I'm not even worthy to get down and touch this guy's shoes. That's who's coming after me. And it challenges us. Where are we today with Jesus? Who's here and who's here? That's what John says about Jesus. Third thing we want to talk about, we'll spend a minute or two longer on it. How did Jesus fulfill John's words? How did Jesus fulfill John's words? And we want to look, I don't know if it's on your outline there, it might be an A, B, and C there, but there's three things to to talk about briefly here. One, that Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's A, I guess. B, that he was beloved of God, he's God's chosen son. And C, that he resisted temptation. He was baptized by the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verses 8 and 9 in our passage. I have baptized you with water, John the Baptist says, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, I've just been warming this thing up with water. He's coming with the real thing, with God's Spirit to dwell inside of us if we'll repent and trust in him. And then he goes on in verse 9, he says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, that's kind of a weird thing if you think about it. If you know anything about church, you've been around a little bit, you've probably maybe seen a baptism or heard a baptism, and, and I thought baptism was about rinsing us clean from our sins or symbolizing us being rinsed and clean, cleansed from our sins by Jesus. So why is Jesus going to be baptized? What's the message? Well, Matthew helps us out a little bit better here. You don't need to turn over there. But in Matthew 3, verse 15, Jesus, is recorded, also said at this time that he did this to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. You see, if Jesus just comes to be kind of a, a leader or a teacher, somebody we can kind of follow religiously, then he's going to be on one plan. But as soon as we start understanding that the Bible is telling us about Jesus as one who comes in our place to substitute for us, to identify with us, vicariously do things on our behalf, then we realize, oh, that's what it's talking about. And Mark's trying to remind us here, and Matthew as well, when they tell us that Jesus is being baptized and say that it's to fulfill all righteousness, that Jesus came to live a perfectly righteous life on our behalf. That's really good news. If you combine that together, look with me now at the uh, verse 11, where this voice comes from heaven, God proclaiming, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So you got Jesus fulfilling all righteousness, and then you see that God is declaring him his beloved son. You're going to start to piece some awesome things together. That if we would embrace them, continue to bring them deeper and deeper in our hearts and lives, would just radically change us. Give us great joy. Give us 
great hope as we walk through this life. Because what it's telling us there is that Jesus fulfills all that is needed for God. That Jesus doesn't just, in paying for our sins, kind of set us back to a neutral point. So we can figure out then how to do the spiritual life on our, our own. No, it tells us there that Jesus comes and fulfills all righteousness. He does the righteous things that we can't do. It's not just that our account is back to neutral. He has piled millions and millions into the account so that we stand with his righteousness if we're by faith in him. Does that bring you joy today? Does it bring you hope and encouragement to know that? He hasn't just set us back to neutral, but he's been our righteousness. That's what it's talking about there. If we desire love, and we all do, desire to know that we would be loved and particularly loved by God, we're told right here at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is God's beloved son so that we can remember that's who he is. That's who he is for us. That's who we are through Jesus, well loved by the living God. And one other thing Jesus does to fulfill John's words that are, that's interesting to me. Verse 12 and 13, very succinct little account of Jesus' temptation. If you've ever perhaps seen the account over in Matthew chapter 4, it's extended. And it gives you verses that Jesus uses to fend off Satan. And we usually look at that passage and rightly see, okay, if I'm facing temptation, uh, I should use God's word to help me fend that off. And all of that is true and good. So the question then is, in Mark's gospel, why such a short account? Why just tell us, hey, he went out into the wilderness, Satan was tempted him, he made it through it. Well, I think the focus, again, that Mark wants us to have is not so much on what we can do when we're facing temptation, although that's good, but he wants us to focus on the fact that Jesus not only uh, actively does all the righteous things we may or may not do, but he resists all the things that we find so difficult to resist. That's all he wants us to see, that Jesus does this on our behalf, that he resists sin. Do you remember, let me mention it here because it will help us. Do you remember the Old Testament people of God? What they did when they went out into the wilderness? It's not a mistake that it says here that Jesus went out into the wilderness. What the Old Testament people of God do in the wilderness? Just, just wear it out? Just a righteous journey? Just you know, perfect, perfect holiness at every turn? No, they messed up big time. I jotted down a couple of things that they did. Let me grab it here for a second. They were tempted in the wilderness, and they failed big time. They complained. Imagine this. They complained, even though they were being fed by bread, which fell down from heaven. Didn't have to do anything for it. Didn't even have to go to the store or pay for it. But they complained about bread that fell down from heaven. They had been given a bunch of gold that they took out of Israel with, or out of Egypt when they escaped out of Egypt with them. Guess what they did with that? All that wealth and gold that God provided for them. They decided, we'll make a little cow, a little idol. Let's bow down to that. That'll be a good way to respond to God's greatness and glory. They eventually would 
come to a place where they refused to step out into faith, even, even though God said he'd be with them as they went into the promised land. And last but not least, probably, they were pretty ready to get rid of their leader, Moses, when things didn't start going quite right. The people of God didn't walk faithfully with God in the wilderness. And so here's the beautiful thing for us, people of God, you and me, who don't walk faithfully either through the wilderness that we walk in each day. Jesus went out into the wilderness and resisted Satan perfectly on our behalf, in our stead. And we can have that. We can have that in our life. God can see us through Jesus simply by our faith in him. It is a beautiful thing, this gospel. This gospel. So we've looked at what John, who John is, what Jesus says, and how that is fulfilled in who Jesus was. And so I just want to encourage us today as we wrestle with that reality the beauty of the righteousness that we have in Christ, you say, well, I, I don't know about that, Chris. You, um, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know what I did this last week. You don't know what I thought this last week. You don't know what I said this last week. You don't know that friend I betrayed You don't know that eating disorder I cannot get past. You don't know that uncontrollable spending. You don't know those bursts of anger that come forth. You don't know. I don't. God does. He knows it today. He knew it exactly when he sent Jesus to come. And he sent his beloved son so that he could be righteousness for us. So people of God, be encouraged today. If you're in the gospel, if you put your trust in Jesus, you have the righteousness of Christ. Walk in it. Walk in it. Be transformed by it. Try to live differently because of it. But know that we're well loved. Know that he resisted temptation perfectly for us. And let me conclude with one verse from 2 Corinthians that perhaps brings this all together. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, how we thank you today that your work in Jesus was no uh, audible, no last-minute plan thrown together but indeed the plan for our salvation throughout the ages. O Lord, let us see the beauty of it as such a fulfillment. And Lord, we pray that as we see the glory of its fulfillment, we would also see the beauty of what it does to fulfill all our spiritual needs. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came as God's beloved son, that you perfectly obeyed even being baptized when you didn't have to, that you walked in righteousness and you resisted temptation perfectly. Uh, We fall short in all those areas. And so we thank you for your grace to us.
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.